0: Our Heavenly Father, we we thank you so much for today. Lord, every day that we have is is a gift from you. Lord, I am so grateful that no matter what happens in this life, our victory is secure. And even though we're going to face the pain and the reality of death, Death will have no hold over us because of what you've done. And Lord, we humbly come before you and we need you. Can you come and and just meet us where we are? Lord, you know what's going on in our hearts. You know our struggles, you know our fears. You know our pains. You know our insecurities. You know our doubts. Lord, you know everything about us. We cannot hide anything from you. And Lord, so can you come and speak to us? Can you make yourself known to us? Can you open up our ears our eyes, our minds, our hearts, can you minister to us in a way um, that we haven't experienced? Can we walk out of here encouraged because we have met with you? Because we walk out of here and saying, what a wonderful savior we have. What sustaining and enduring grace that we have. How faithful is our God? That no matter what happens, our God is faithful. Can you just fill this place with your spirit and illuminate truth to us? And Lord, help me to proclaim your word. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and all God's people said Amen. So we're we're starting a new series through the book of First Corinthians. Uh, called We Are the Church. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verse 1. And so here's the reason uh, why I feel like the Lord has placed this letter on on my heart. Uh, I preached uh, through the, the letter of 1 Corinthians back in 2010, and I just felt like the Lord said, I need to preach it again. Uh, and, and so here's why, and here's, here's the reason, and here's my hope. Uh, whether we want to admit it or not, the prevailing worldview, our culture, influences us how we think, how we act, and what we value. I know we don't want to say it out loud, but that is the reality. And that principle is not just true for us, but that principle was true for the church in Corinth. Even though the church in Corinth, they recently became Christian, they were still to some degree embracing the Corinth worldly values. And so what Paul is doing is Paul is writing to them and he's addressing some of their questions and some of their concerns. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to encourage them to live as who they truly are, God's holy people. And so my hope for us in this series is that we will discover that the gospel requires God's holy people to mature in purity and also in unity. And that as we look at this text as we look at this entire letter we'll look at it through the lenses of the gospel that we will see that the gospel is decisive and the gospel addresses every single issue and it's applicable to every single issue and how we ought to live our lives and so in short you're like okay what is the gospel really in short the gospel it is God's work through Jesus Christ where Jesus lived a life we could not live and he died a death we were supposed to die he took our place and through his blood on the cross he redeemed us he reconciled us and made us in a right relationship with God and Jesus is coming back not just to redeem us but to redeem all of creation and make everything new and it's through those lenses that we look at this letter and see how we as the people of God are supposed to live Now if you are in life group, uh, one of the things we've been doing is we've been trying to teach you how to study God's Word. And so anytime we get to a new book or a new letter, there's some questions that we have to ask and questions that we have to answer. So for example, the very first question is that we have to ask when we come to the letter of 1 Corinthians is, who wrote this? Who did he write this to? What was going on? What was the purpose of him writing this? And so we find right in the text off the bat is that Paul wrote this letter to the church of God in Corinth. And history tells us, and some historians tell us more than likely, Paul wrote this while he was in Ephesus, probably in the later part of his ministry, around 55 AD. And so the reason why Paul was writing this letter to the church of Corinth, because he received some response from Chloe and and her people about what's going on in the church. And then the church also wrote Paul a a letter asking him various questions. You're like, how do you know this? Well, we look at 1 Corinthians 1. One verse 11, he says uh, regarding the report I hear from Chloe and her household. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1, he would say, in regard to the letters that you have written me, here is my response. And so Paul's main purpose in writing this letter and responding to their reports is he wants to encourage them. And he wants to encourage them to live who you truly are. If you're saints, if you're God's holy people, then you must live that way. Because here's the little cultural context of the church in Corinth. Uh, The church in Corinth was a major city, just like a major city today. The same kind of culture, the same kind of values that's in New York, L.A., D.C., major kind of cities. That was the values in Corinth. The Corinthians valued impressive public speakers. They valued status and greed, immoral sex, personal rights, and idolatry. And so members of this church grew up in this pagan context, and they recently became Christian. And how did they continue to live? They continued to live how they grew up. And what Paul is saying is, no, that's not who you are anymore. You are a saint. You are God's holy people. And so what Paul is doing throughout this letter, he is trying to reason with them. He's trying to persuade them. And here's the main message he's communicating. And and, and here's your first main point if you're taking notes. And hopefully throughout the series, I can just keep beating the same drum. Here's what point Paul is trying to do, regardless of all the issues that the church is facing. This is what he's trying to communicate. He is saying, look guys, The gospel requires God's holy people to mature in both purity and unity. The gospel requires God's holy people to mature in purity and unity. Now, let me try to unpack this a little bit and show you uh, where we're coming from. When you think about the church in Corinth, holy is not what comes to mind. The Corinthian church was sinfully divisive over church leaders. They tolerated incest. Yeah, you heard correctly. They were suing each other, taking each other to court, excusing sex with prostitutes, saying that's okay. Claiming that that is not good to have sex with one's own spouse. Proudly claiming to have special knowledge, clinging to their rights in a way that doesn't build up fellow believers, abusing fellow believers when celebrating the Lord's Supper, misevaluating and misusing their spiritual gifts, and then even denying that God does not resurrect the dead bodies of the saints. Now, as you're hearing this report, what you're, reading, what you're probably wondering is, is this even a church? Like, what kind of church is that? Is that a church you would want to sign up for? And yet, we're going to see in verse 2, how does Paul address them? He calls them the church of God in Corinth. He calls them saints. Why does he do it? Is he lying to them? No, because Paul understood that all Christians are saints. They are God's holy people. That does not mean they're sinless, that does not mean they're perfect, but God's holy people gradually become who they are. Holy, sinless, blameless, spotless. And so what we're going to see is that the the church of Corinth, for them to become who they already are, they need to mature. They need to grow in purity and unity. And the more the church grows in purity, in other words, no longer being compromised, no longer following the values of their culture, they will grow in unity. But the more they continue in their impurity, the more it results in disunity of the church. Now now think even about this. Who would have ever thought that the result of their disunity is because of their immoral pure lives that they are pursuing? One almost think, oh, those are two separate issues. But here's the reality. Here's the truth. The more we're influenced by our culture and the more we're compromising and submitting to the worldly values out there, the more it results in disunity within the church. I don't think I have to give an example. I think you guys are kind of getting that. Okay, let's move on. And so here's our job. As we we look at this text, um, as we look really through the entire letter, um, there's some weird things in this text, weird things that Paul is addressing, uh, like men shouldn't wear head coverings and women should wear head coverings. Um, we'll get there. I don't know how, but we're going to get there. But here's the hard work that we need to do. In order to understand uh, what Paul is addressing and what Paul is saying, we have to understand the original audience, the context of what he is addressing. So that's the hard work we have to do. The second thing we have to do once we understand the cultural background and the context of what he is saying and why he is saying it, now the second thing we have to do is we have to look at this letter through our gospel lenses. In other words, we have to see how Paul is pointing them to the reality of the gospel and how the gospel is a solution and how they ought to live their lives. That's going to take some hard work. And then the third thing that we have to do is then we now have to start applying those principles to our lives. So you guys ready for this? All right, hopefully I've set the table. Let's get into the introduction. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, that's how we know Paul wrote it, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, with all those in every place who called on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their lords and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's just stop here. This church... If you read the entire letter in its entirety has a lot of issues there's a lot of things we're going to read about this church and if we're quite honest we're going to say this church is a dysfunctional church this church is a hot mess this church should not be called the church there's no way that this kind of action should be allowed in this church and paul's writing to this church with all the issues in mind that he's supposed to address. And notice, how does he address this church? Look at this, the very first thing he says, how does he address this church? He calls them the church of God at Corinth. The church of God in Corinth. And this is significant because in the New Testament, the church does not describe a building. The church does not describe a location or a venue, but the church describes a people. So when Paul is saying to the church of God in Corinth, he's not saying to those people who's going to a specific building in Corinth, but rather what he is saying is those people who have been set apart by God, who God is gathering because he has redeemed them and they're gathering in the location of Corinth to worship God through the proclamation of his word and the the administration of the ordinances that Jesus has given us, baptism in, communion. So he says, you are the people of God. God has redeemed you. You belong to him. But then he keeps addressing them, not just the church, but then he also says those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, the word sanctify means being set apart. Or it can mean the process of becoming holy or becoming more and more like Christ. Now, we're going to do a little work here in order to understand exactly what Paul is meaning. So just bear with me here. In the New Testament, we read the word sanctify in both past tense, present tense, and future tense. Okay? So when Paul or, or the apostles used the word sanctify in the past tense, for example, when he says a believer is sanctified as if something has already been done to them, this occurs when God sets a believer apart for himself. So the moment that God calls him, regenerates him, makes him new, he sets him apart. That is what theologians, that is what we can call positional sanctification. Their position with God now has changed. It is decisive. They were enemies of God, but because of God, he has set them apart, and now they are the people of God. That's when he uses the word sanctify In the past tense. But then sometimes we also read the word sanctify in the present tense. A believer is being sanctified. And that is when God sets his people apart. uh, uh, Sorry. It is when, when God is doing progressive work in their lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. And he helps them to become more and more like Christ. And that is what we can call progressive sanctification. It is not complete. It is continuous through the work of the Holy Spirit that helps them to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And then we see the word sanctified being used in the future tense that a believer will be sanctified that is when god will set his people apart from the presence of sin and even the possibility of sin that is when we will be glorified where there will be no presence of sin it will be other words your work will be complete you will look like christ and the possibility of you sinning zero you're like okay what's the point here you've just bored me to death Here's what we have to understand. How does Paul use the word sanctified? Past, present, or future? Look at the text. How does he use it? In the past tense. So what is he saying? Positionally, you have been sanctified. In other words, he calls the church in Corinth God's people who have been set apart by God. They have been set apart. They have been declared God's holy people. It is a position that has been stated. This is who you are. And it's not because of what they have done. It's because of what Christ has done because they are sanctified in who? They're sanctified in Christ Jesus. So not only does he call this church, the church of God, the people of God who've been positionally set apart by God as holy, but what else does he call them? Look look at the text. He calls them what? Saints. He calls them saints. Why does he call them saints? Because they're sinless. No, he calls them saints because positionally they've been set apart. He calls them who they are. Positionally before God, they're holy, blameless, spotless, without sin. And the question is, wait, wait, time out. How is that possible? Because we know Clearly in this letter, clearly what you've mentioned, they are not blameless. They're not spotless. They're not without sin. They are a hot mess. But what we have to understand, how is it possible? It's possible because they've been set apart in Jesus Christ. They have called upon the name of the Lord. Through means of faith, they have trusted in what Christ has done for them. And because they've trusted in what Christ has done for them positionally, they are the people of God who've been set apart, who stands before God blameless, spotless, without wrinkle, righteous. Why? Because what Christ has accomplished for them. So how does God see this church in Corinth that's a hot mess? He sees them holy, blameless, spotless saints before God because of what Christ has done what's the point of saying this here is why Paul is addressing them this way he's not giving them a compliment sandwich which we like to do in our culture that's the new thing I love you you're great but you stink but you're still wonderful You know, and then it's like, well, let's just be honest. That's kind of confusing. Am I wonderful, great, or do I stink? That's not what Paul is doing here. He's not giving them a compliment sandwich. But what Paul is doing is he is reminding them of who they are in Christ. He's telling them, hey, guys, you are God's people. You are God's holy people. You have been set apart. You are blameless, spotless, without wrinkle. And by reminding them of who they are in Christ, what he is going to do is he is now going to imply, because of this is who you are in Christ, this is now how you ought to live. So in other words, if you're taking notes, here's a very profound truth. Saints, become what you are. That's what he's saying, basically. Saints, if you are a saint, which you are because of what Christ has done for you, now become what you are. If you are God's holy people, which God has set you apart for that and declared you to be holy, now become what you are. Saints must live like saints. Become practically what you are positionally. You've been positionally set apart by God to be holy, to be his people, to be a saint. Now you need to become like that practically. In other words, if Jesus is holy and he has made you holy, then what should you be doing? You should be striving to pursue holiness. And, and that's Paul's point here. He's not buttering him up so that he can beat them down. But he is reminding them who you are in Christ. Who you are positionally. So that now he can flesh out the practical parts and say, hey guys, this is not what it looks like practically. Remember who you are positionally. This is what it would look like practically if that position is true. And then in verse 3, he blesses them. And then we're going to see how he regularly thanks God for them. Look at verse 4. He says this, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. That you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech, in all knowledge. And in this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you do not lack any spiritual gifts as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's just stop here. why does paul thank god for this church this church that's so dysfunctional this church that's such a hot mess why does he thank god for them because of the grace of god in jesus christ and this is not a a one-time grace but it is an, an Enduring grace, a sustaining grace. And, and this is why I, I say this is an enduring and a sustaining grace that he talks about in verse 4. Because verses 5 kind of gives us the reason why this is a enduring and sustaining grace. Uh, look at verse 5 here. That you were enriched in him in every way in all speech and all knowledge. In other words, God has sufficiently enriched the Corinthians with gifts of communication and gifts of knowledge. And these gifts that God has given them is a way of confirming to Paul that they have received and understood the gospel, that they have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of them, that have given them these spiritual gifts to build up one another. And that's why in verse 6 he says, In this way the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gifts as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. But here's another reason he thanks God for the church because of his sustaining and enduring grace. Look look at verse 8. What is he going to do? He will also strengthen you to, to the end. So that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the result of God enriching the Corinthians, giving them the spiritual gifts, is that they will persevere in faith until the very end. And it's not because of them, because who's the one strengthening them? God is. Jesus will continue to strengthen them and sustain them to the very end, to the point that they will be blameless until the day of the Lord Jesus reveals himself. This is why Paul is hopeful. This is why Paul is thankful. Not because he's going to motivate them and encourage them to get their act together. But rather, he is hopeful and he is thankful because of God's enduring, sustaining grace that is going to strengthen them and that is going to keep them blameless until he returns. And so the the second point we can learn is this. If you're taking notes, thank God for his sustaining grace. I know this is very profound. It really is not. This this text is so simple. But just thank God for his sustaining grace. This church in Corinth was by far spotless, blameless, without sin. No, it was a hot mess of a church. It was filled with sinners. And just like the church of Corinth, our church, the church today in the 21st century, we're a hot mess. We're dysfunctional. We are, in fact, a church full of sinners. And the reality of it is we cannot blamelessly or perfectly follow Jesus until he returns. But because of God's grace, Because Jesus himself is the one that sustains us and strengthens us to the very end that we will be blameless. Uh, This kind of reminds me um, of of Paul when he's writing to to the the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 27. Um, Because when we look at the church in Corinth, the church is messy. When we look at our church, The church is messy. When we look at the church, like the history of the church, like if you really want to get depressed about the church, just go ahead and study church history. Like seriously, like I'm wondering how in the world has the church still survived? You know, we used to kill people over baptism. Like that's our history, people. Oh, you don't agree with me? I'm killing you right now. And yet, is the church still here? Yeah. No matter what happens to the church, no matter what, ha- what, what it faces, will the church still be here? Yeah. Why? Paul tells us He, he tells us in Ephesians 5 verse 25 27 and this is what my hope is when I look at the church he says husband love your wives just as Christ loved the church women you're welcome but this is not really the point of the text it's not really about the husband it's about Christ look at how Christ loved the church Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself up for her to what to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Like this is a constant reminder that the church and all of her flaws, that God and His grace through Christ Jesus will sustain the church and keep the church till the very end. Why? Because Christ is committed to His bride because He bought this bride with His precious blood and He is washing her with His word and He is committed and perfecting her and presenting her as blameless and spotless until the very And and this is Paul's point. This is why Paul is so hopeful for the church on Corinth. If it was me, I would have been so discouraged and say, guys, let's just close these doors and no longer call yourself a church. Not Paul. Because he knew, because he himself has experienced God sustaining and enduring grace from the moment that the Lord has called them and saved them and has kept them through the highs and the lows of ministry. So why can Paul thank God for his sustaining grace? Because of how the Corinthians are going to receive this letter and get their act together and all of a sudden become faithful? No, look, look at verse 9. Why, why can Paul thank God for his sustaining grace? God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Christ Jesus, our Lord. God is faithful. He called. He will keep you into the fellowship with his son all right let's stop here and let's start practically applying this to our lives what what can we learn from this introduction i think the first thing we can learn is this become practically what god has made you positionally in other words if god has called you into the fellowship with his son If God has positionally set you apart, if God has made you a holy people, if you are a saint because of the work that God has done, start acting that way. Start living that way. Start pursuing holiness. What happens in our pursuit of holiness when we feel discouraged. How many of you are kind of discouraged in your pursuit of holiness? How many of you kind of feel like, yeah, I'm having more bad days than good days? Yeah, I'm kind of failing this. Here's the good news. If you are discouraged in your progress of holiness and becoming practically what God has set you apart positionally, What does Paul do? He says, I thank God for his sustaining grace because he will strengthen me and keep me to the very end. Not because I am so faithful in my pursuit of holiness, but rather because God is faithful. And it does not take away from me pursuing holiness, No, I have to become practically what the Lord has made me positionally, and yet he is working in me and strengthening me, allowing me to endure. And I can be hopeful in my pursuit of holiness because verse 8 tells me, And I don't know how you want to translate it other than just translate it this way. He will strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we know he's going to do it? Verse 9. God is faithful. That's my encouragement to you. Start acting who God says you are. If God says you're holy... If God says you're spotless, if God says you're blameless, if God says you're righteous, start acting like it. Start pursuing holiness. And in your discouragement, cling to his sustaining grace. Because his grace doesn't just forgive. His grace empowers. His grace doesn't just empower. His grace transforms. His grace that He's bestowed on us from the very beginning sustains, endures us to the very end. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank You for Your sustaining grace. We thank You that You have set us apart as Your people, that You have declared us holy, righteous, spotless, blameless. So that when you look at us, Lord, it's so strange. I just have a hard time to imagine that when you look at me, you see me as blameless and spotless and perfect. Even though in the back of my mind, I'm like, I am a hot mess. You see me like that because of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, help me to understand that and help me to work to become like that. As your spirit gives me the strength and the gifts to pursue holiness. As you, Lord Jesus, is strengthening me in your committed and keeping me blameless and spotless. As we continue to pray, I want you to maybe reflect on one question like, how is your pursuit of holiness going? When you think about how God looks at you, what do you think? Do you think that God sees you as perfect? Do you think that God sees you as holy, blameless, spotless? Or do you maybe feel like all God looks at is one big disappointment? And I want to tell you, that's a lie from the devil. Here's the reason why God doesn't see you as a disappointment. Because if you are in Christ, if you profess Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are one with Christ. That means when God sees you, He sees Christ in you. He sees Christ's perfect, righteous acts on your behalf. And He loves you like He loves His Son, Jesus. Because you... And his son, you are one. So do not be discouraged in your pursuit of holiness. Become who you are. So what areas of your life do you need to address? What sin do you need to throw off that is entangling you, that is hindering you from becoming what God said you are? I want to encourage you get rid of that sin confess that sin knowing there is grace that will forgive you that will empower you and will transform you And then maybe there's some of you um maybe you're struggling maybe you haven't confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior yet Maybe you're like thinking, well, I need to do better so that God could accept me. I need to try harder. Here's just the truth in the most loving way I can possibly say it. You will fail. And I'm not saying it because I'm trying to be mean or judgmental. I'm just calling it like it is. Like there's no way that God will accept you because of your performance. Because the harder you try, the more you're going to fail. Because even in a sense you're saying to God, I don't need your gift. I can do it on my own. And what I want to do is I want to encourage you, turn to Christ, trust in Christ, his performance on your behalf. Christ did something you could not do. He lived a perfect life you could not live. He obeyed the law. He honored God in everything. And even when he was tempted by Satan, he did not give in to those temptations. But he resisted the evil one and was so obedient to God even to the point of death. You can't do that. And then Christ died a death you were supposed to die. And God offers forgiveness in his son, reconciliation and acceptance because of what his son has done. And you can respond to that by simply trusting in Christ, turning from your sins, turn to Him, and say, Thank you for the work that you've done on my behalf, that God will accept me, not because I am great, but because what He has done on my behalf. He has made me His holy people. So I want to encourage you wrestle with God, turn to Christ. Surrender your life. Respond in faith. And then, if that's you this morning, then your encouragement is the same for the rest of the church. Then become what you are, practically what God has made you position.